0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central.
1: Good morning, everyone. It is Wednesday, September the 28th, 2022. It is currently 9.53 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. All right, class, I need to know... How is your study in the book of Amos going? I need to know. What are you struggling with? How is it going? Are you getting, I don't know. How do you feel about the study so far? Have you learned more than you thought you would? Do you find the book uh, interesting? Do you find it, I know you're not supposed to say this, do you find it not very interesting to you? Do you find it exciting, difficult, difficult? boring, frustrating. I don't care what the word is. I want to know your true reaction to your time in the book of Amos because we have been doing a lot of work on the book of Amos and I'm hoping, I'm hoping for positive feedback. That's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping like, wow, this opened my eyes. I understand this book better than I've ever understood it. This I've been challenged. I've been convicted. I've been confused. I've 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 enjoyed trying to uh, you know figure out things. I I'm hoping for positive feedback because we have spent a lot of time. All right, someone has said. All right, so I I wasn't even paying attention because I didn't think anybody would be listening. Someone just said I'm loving the way we're doing the study. That's good. And they said I'm learning a ton. Well, that's good. Now I won't put them on the spot. No, I won't do that. But no, that is positive. I wanted some kind of positive feedback. That's good. So we we will have somewhat of an interruption, which is really bothering me. Now, the way this was supposed to work is today's Wednesday. I was supposed to be way further in our work on Amos today. But while life sometimes throws you a curveball and you have to kind of just deal with it, so we're, we're a little behind this week. And then next week, everything gets messed up. Everything blows up because I will be gone for an entire week from a Saturday to a Saturday. And uh, that's going to put a major delay in what we're doing. I don't know how. There's not there's very little I can do. There's very little I can do to to say, hey, you know, there, there's this big gap of a week where I'm not going to be able to record any there's not going to be any live broadcast. So, I mean, it's going to disrupt and there's really nothing I can do about that. So I I do apologize for that, but uh, that's just the way things work, but we will make the most out of it. I'm going to do everything I can between now and Friday um, to to do whatever I can. And then, well, then Saturday I leave and there's, there's nothing I can do. There'll be no podcasting of any kind for the, for those days. So um, I'm going to be way behind when I come back. But as soon as I get back, we'll just do what we can and try to ensure that we can bring our study to the book of, of the book of Amos to some kind of satisfying conclusion. That is the goal. That is the hope. Even, even talking about it is making me anxious. Even, even mentioning it, I'm like, Man, that's going to mess things up so much, so much. Um, Okay, someone says, I still have a lot of questions, but I'm definitely learning more than I could have predicted. That's good. I do hope at some point everyone will just say, here's all of my questions, and and I want everyone to send me all of their questions, because that, that will be easy to then just take the questions and just do a podcast episodes answering questions right? Now, that may turn into an entire series of its own, but I think that could be uh, very beneficial as well. So, maybe what I'll do is on Friday, have everyone spend a week, (laughs) the week that I'm gone, coming up with all of their questions on the book of Amos. And then when I get back, I'll look at everyone's questions, and then we can just maybe start answering some of those questions. We will see. I've got to come up with a plan. So, but I hope, I hope that we can we can make this work um you you when I started, I never envisioned oh, there's gonna be this you know seven day period where uh, nothing no, someone just said, be careful what you ask for, okay, well, I know in this particular case, it would actually be helpful to me. It would actually be beneficial because when i because after that seven day gap, it's gonna be very weird, like okay what what where do how do we step back into this, but if I just got some questions that we can work on. I think, I think it could be helpful. I think it could be beneficial to the people asking the questions, and it could be beneficial to me because it gives us kind of a, a starting point to get back into the book. But hopefully during that seven-day period, people will continue to work on the Bible study method that I gave everyone, and we'll see. I'm going to get us as close to chapter 9 as possible and my working through the text, and we'll see. But hey, that's... Let's stop worrying about what I can't control. Let's worry about what I can control. What I can control is right now. So right now, we're going to still we're going to go back and use Jay Vernon McGee once again because they've given us permission. But most importantly, it just is an easy way to go. Okay, here's his perspective. Here's my perspective. Here's his perspective. Here's my perspective, and we kind of work through each chapter almost in a verse by verse way. I'm hoping that is helping. And adding different perspectives to what you're already working on. So today we make it to chapter 4. And remember at the church, we're kind of doing our own working through the book. And we're in chapter 2. So we're, I'm doing a work through the book with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I'm doing my own work through the book with the church. I'm doing my own work through the, with the book for those in the Discord chat. So I'm working through the book like multiple different ways. So at least I can say this. I don't know how anyone else is going to feel about it. By the time I'm done with Amos, I think I'm going to understand the book better than I could ever understand it because I'm just working through the book in so many different ways with so many different groups of people that hopefully it's all <laughs> at least I can walk away going, "Well, I don't know if anyone else got anything out of this study, but man, I think I'm a I think I've got the book of Amos down." So hopefully Um, others will feel the same way. But are you ready? Dr. J. Vernon McGee, Amos chapter four. We've listened to him on chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three. He's brought up some interesting things. There's some things we've kind of went, well, I'm not so sure about, but that's good. That's good. We want to hear those different perspectives. So if you are able, Bible open, notebook open, pencil in hand, and let's
0: do this. Here we go. Now, that brings us to the fourth chapter. And we have here, Israel is punished for past iniquity. And we are going to see then in chapter 5, Israel will be punished in the future for iniquity. And the warning is given to them.
1: Got to interrupt because someone did ask a question and I didn't see it till just now because it didn't show up on my computer, but it showed up on my iPad. How many chapters should we be through when you get back? I'm not going to give, uh, what I'm going to do is you have a week to do whatever you want to do, okay? You can go fast, you can go slow, you can go backwards. You just have a week to do whatever you want to do and need to do. You can go as fast as you want, slow as you want. And then when I get back, I'll try to figure out kind of where people are You know, um, I'm not going to really do anything. I do want you to compile a list of questions. I do want you to do that. I do want you to continue using the Bible study method that was taught. Continue to work that method uh, wherever you are in that method. Um, Obviously, if you can get close to being done to chapter 9 using the method, great. If you can't, that's fine. Wherever you can be, when I get back, we'll just kind of start. I'm going to start when I get back wherever I stop on Friday. So, if I can get through all of Dr. J Vernon McGee's audio all the way to chapter nine, if I can do that, well then when we get back we'll we'll probably poss- possibly start transitioning into uh, the next uh, part of the Bible study method. We will see. We're just going to play it by ear and I'll try to get a feel for where everyone is at. So hopefully the way it's I, I think the way it's going to work is I will uh, should have the ability to at least, be posting in Discord while I am gone, at least some. And so hopefully I can kind of keep an idea of where people are while I'm gone, getting updates, at least for the Discord group. And I can check email and get an an update for those who are not in Discord, but are communicating via email and kind of get an idea, kind of of a basic like, here's a good kind of in the middle of where everyone is at, and then try to start again somewhere close to that middle so that I can have the biggest impact on as many, as many people as possible. All right? So we'll back this up again. We'll start once again. Here we go.
0: Now, that brings us to the fourth chapter. And we have here, Israel is punished for past iniquity. And we are going to see that in chapter five, Israel will be punished in the future for iniquity. And the warning is given to them. Now, this man, Amos, directs his message and it's scathing denunciation and judgment of the northern kingdom of Israel. Will you listen to him here? This is sarcasm that was really cutting and biting. Now, interesting question here.
1: How well... How, how, how well do you think you do in detecting sarcasm in the biblical text? Do you think you're you're a master at it? You're like, oh, nope, that's sarcasm. Or do you think you have a tendency to either ignore the sarcasm and don't detect the sarcasm and or you just overlook it? Do you think you're great at finding it or you think you're horrible at detecting it? How well do you think you do in detecting sarcasm in the biblical text? And do you think there's always agreement that it's sarcasm? Now, he's getting ready to say there's going to be sarcasm here. Is it sarcasm? It would be a, because I think that there are times where there's a text where you'll get like a couple of commentaries going, man, this is crazy sarcasm. And then maybe I will bring it to the church. And and what I, I do this typically, a lot of times kind of present an idea Not wanting to see if any, in other words, I won't present the idea like I think there's sarcasm there or I don't think there's sarcasm there. I'll present it like, you know, almost in a neutral way just to see if anyone in the church will raise their hand and go, wait, isn't he being sarcastic here? And I can't count how many times people never raise their hand to say anything. So I'm like, well, did they not detect it? Were they waiting for me to explain it? Someone just said, I don't think I'm good at detecting sarcasm. There is no way there is agreement on when. Okay, yeah, I I agree. I doubt there's agreement on it, but I I think it's important. Let, Let me state it this way. If a text is using sarcasm, I would think that would require a different way of interpreting the text versus a text not using sarcasm. I think it would lead to a somewhat of a different interpretation. So if that is true, then it would require us to become pretty good at detecting it, or we could be possibly misinterpreting it. So in other words, if we think there's sarcasm there, I think that's gonna lead to a one way of interpreting the text. But if it's not sarcasm, that means we misinterpreted the text. If there's sarcasm there and you don't see it and you you ignore it or overlook it, well, then you're gonna be misinterpreting the text. So I think it's, it's very hard sometimes and the biblical narrative to kind of go, wait, oh oh no, he's being sarcastic there because we're, we're just just the way it's written. But I, I so he says this is sarcasm. It will be interesting to see if everyone else detects in Amos chapter four, sarcasm. And if you do, where does the sar- sarcasm begin? Where does the sarcasm
0: end? Let's see where he places the beginning and the end. This man now, is really speaking to this nation, trying to call them back to God. He says, "Hear this word, ye cows! Instead of kine, it should be cows. A kine is a cow. Hear this word, ye cows of Bashan, that are in the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy." who say to their masters, bring and let us drink. Now, here again is the third mention of drink being one of the sins that caused the downfall of this people. But not only that, what does he mean by ye cows of Bashan? And will you notice this very carefully now? Bashan, by the way, is that territory that's east of the Jordan River It's between Mount Hermon and the mountains of Gilead, that is, the land of Gilead where the three tribes were. This is where the northern kingdom is part of their territory. Now, the kind of Bashan, the cows, they were noted, actually, for their strong appearance and sleek appearance. They were well-fed because the area in that section of the country. It was very lush, by the way. Now, what does he mean? He, who is he calling cows the baishan There are those that believe that he's speaking to the women who were living in luxury, well-fed, well-taken care of, well-dressed, well-groomed. And because they could enjoy this wealth and luxury, why it meant that the poor was oppressed and that the needy were crushed down. And this was done to satisfy the luxury of these women. Well, it is feminine. I grant that. But I think he's also speaking to the rulers. Now, somebody says, why does he use the feminine? Well, don't you know? This crowd up here were a group of homosexuals. Read the first chapter of Romans. This is the thing that God.
1: Whoa! Okay, wait, 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 wait. What just happened? What just happened here? Okay, okay, wait, 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 wait. All right, all right. I, 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 I we. Okay, all right. You, you never know that one of this is one of the reasons. Oh man. It's one of the reasons I try to listen to so many different things because I, I constantly hear something. I'll be like, wait, what just happened? Wait. And now, and immediately my, my immediate thought sometimes is an immediate pushback going, what are you talking about? What I always try to do, even, even if I disagree strongly on the air, I always afterwards try to rethink it, relook at it and consider to see, wait, did I miss that? Was I completely wrong? Like, Yesterday, when we were reviewing the youth conference message, I, I, when I finished that broadcast, I spent, I don't know how long going, okay, have I completely misread Jonah all of these years? What, have I been confused by the book of Jonah? Because they presented an idea that I, I still think is completely contradicts the meaning of the book, but I wanted to at least make sure. Now on the air, I completely threw it out, but I wanted to at least challenge myself because I have no problem you know, five minute. you know, I'm on the air for an hour saying, I think this is wrong. This is wrong. Get off, you know, end the live broadcast. And then five minutes later, turn back on the microphone. And go, Hey, guys, guess what? I was wrong. They were right. I got no problem. I don't care what makes me look foolish. I don't care if it makes me look stupid because it can't be about your own personal pride, emotions or ego. It has to be about finding truth. So this has just thrown me for a loop because I don't think I've ever heard this presented as... The reason he's he's referring to the rulers as the cows of Bashan or Bashan, depending on how you want to say it, uh, that these are the rulers and he's using the feminine cows because they're homosexuals. I don't think I have ever heard this perspective ever. <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't think I've ever heard this perspective. And then he immediately goes to Romans 1. What is Romans 1? How are you connecting Romans 1 to Amos chapter 4? Like, I am a little, little perplexed here. I'm going to let him try to work this out because he may, he may be onto something that I've never seen, but I, I, whoa, where did you just go from there? So, but, but if he's referring to them as female cows because they're homosexuals, um, Okay. Uh, I haven't read that in any commentaries. Calvin suggested they called them cows because they weren't worthy of being called men. So Calvin seems to refer, going to the fact that he, that they, he was referring to men. That's interesting. I haven't seen Calvin on it. I've always been taught it's referencing the women. All right. Um, but is it, but, and some say it's sarcasm. I don't know. Is it sarcasm? I don't know. I'm, I'm going to back this up. We're going to work, we'll work through J. Vernon McGee and then I'm going to, I may read some commentaries. This one, <laughs> we may not get any further than this. We may have to just stop right here. Wow. Okay. But this, again, this is why we listen to so, I try to listen to so many different things. And it's one of the reasons. I've tried to explain to people why I went to so many different Bible colleges and and seminaries because every time I went to it, and I never transferred credits because I always wanted to take the same class. Like, if I took Old Testament survey in one school, I was going to take it in another school because it was so amazing to me how I could go through Old Testament survey or New Testament survey in one school, go to another school, do the same survey, and be like, wait, I couldn't, that, wait, where did that come from? And it, I was always fascinated how you could get so many different perspectives. So, here is an example. I, I'm, I, I would not have seen this coming at all. I'm going to go back here. We're going to back this up. Let, let's.
0: I want to hear this argument again. All right, here we go. But I think he's also speaking to the rulers. Now, somebody says, "Why does he use the feminine?" Well, don't you know? This crowd up here were a group of homosexuals. Read the first chapter of Romans. This is the thing that God judges. And we are living in a nation today that are now making laws that permit homosexuals to get married, of all things. Did you know that Nero, they call him a mad king? Nero was not mad. He was a homosexual. He had a palace of over a hundred rooms, And one separate room in that palace was given over to the basest kind of deviation of sex that is imaginable. It was given over to the satisfying of his homosexual craving. May I say, when a nation starts down, homosexuality becomes a very prominent sort of thing. Now, I'm going to hear from this, but I don't mind that. We've been hearing recently... That across this country today, there is a ring of this type of thing, and it will bring any nation down. And I think that's what he's talking about here. And believe me, he calls them a bunch of well-fed cows. And they were the ones that were ruling these people, the rich that were pressing these people down.
1: It's just crazy to me that he's seeing that the judgment has to do with homosexuality when the text literally says, oppress the poor, crush the needy, say to their masters, bring and let us drink. But he's turning it into and an condemnation of homosexuality. Next thing you know, we're off talking about what Nero was doing. Okay, well, Nero is not in, in, in focus here. America is not in focus here. Israel is in focus here. What? What? Why? I don't understand. I don't understand. Okay, I'm going to let him finish the homosexual part and then we're going to go back and I'm going to look at at least one other commentary here on why they're called uh, kine or cows
0: of Bashan. All right, here we go. What a horrible, awful picture this is. And my friend, you can bring it up to date if it was true in Israel. It's certainly true in our land today. We need an Amos today in this land. Now, this is the first verse of the fourth chapter, and he's just now getting started. So according to
1: him, I guess verse one is really about homosexuality. He's ignoring the the poor situation. Remember, that's one of the reasons I've so emphasized it, because I believe the evangelical church never looks at how we treat the poor, look at the poor, view the poor, perceive the poor. And that's why I've tried to make that such an emphasis because I believe the church today constantly overlooks it, and here's another situation: you got a verse that literally talks about them oppressing, crushing the poor, and next thing you know, it's it's about homosexuality. This is disgusting. This is vile. But of course, it's not disgusting and vile in how they treated the poor. Of course, of course not. Homosexuality is always far worse. But the book has emphasized the poor thing. I don't understand. But let, let me just give you one example of how this is handled. You cows of Bashan or Bashan. Amos wasn't trained as a prophet. He was a simple herdsman and farmer. When he wanted to get the point across to the indulgent women of Israel, he called them fat cows. The area of Bashan and the northern part of Israel, the modern day Golan Heights, was known for producing fat and healthy livestock. Psalm 22.12 mentions strong bulls of Bashan. Ezekiel 39.18 mentions the large livestock, the fatlings of Bashan. It's no exaggeration to say that Amos calls these women fat cows. Though it is true that the very skinny ideal of female beauty is a modern phenomenon, and especially in ancient times, plumpness was a valued sign of affluence, we can count on it that at no time in human history has a woman appreciated being called a fat cow, all right? It says the the sarcastic idea of the cows of Bashan seems to refer both to the luxury that the wealthy women enjoyed and to a certain sensuality which their extravagant lifestyle afforded them. The prophet here represents the iniquitous, idle, lazy, whether men or women, under the idea of fatted bullocks, which were shortly to be led out to the slaughter. All right? Yeah, whether they're women or whether they're men, I think, in fact, does it say, when it says to their masters, just so that you note this, this is interesting, which say to their masters, bring and let us drink. Many believe that that word masters, at least some translations, translates the word masters, husbands. Now, if we translate that husbands, then clearly the fat cows are referring to the women. But I don't think the idea of of fat really is, is being used in a derogatory way. I don't think, in other words, I don't think, you know, like, oh, they're fat. I think what it's saying is that they are affluent they are rich they have more than they need they have even their wants being met they have more than they need which is a contrast to the poor and the needy they're sitting around in a sense fat healthy you know gluttonous greedy compared to those who have nothing so if you look at it, here are the word uh, ye kind or cows of Bashan that are in the mountains of Samaria, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy. It's a direct, it's a direct, um, not con- It's a it's a contrast. I think that's the word I'm trying to say. It's contrasting the two. Here are the fat. Okay. More than they need. They have more than they need. The gluttonous, they have everything. That's why they're fat because they have more than they need. In other words, they're not, they don't just have what they need. They can have more than they want versus the needy. It's a contrast. And then, and then they sit around having basically people serve them, their masters, whomever they may be, masters, husbands, and say, bring and let us drink. In other words, they can just lay back and say, bring me something to drink. Bring me something to drink. Just showing luxury. They don't have to even worry about it. There's plenty of drink out there. Just they can call for it and it can be brought to them. They're in luxury. They're, they are affluent. I think that's the focus here. All right. I, 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 I don't know. Yeah, and then, and then immediately, so the contrast is between the affluent, the wealthy, the rich, the, the, the gluttonous, the greedy, whatever however you want to describe them, contrasted with the poor and the needy. And then look what happens. The Lord God sworn by his holiness, lo, the day shall come upon you that he will take you away with hooks and your pros- posterity with fish hooks. In other words, you're laying around now, but the time is coming. I, I it has nothing to do with homosexuality. This is not a contrast between those who practice homosexuality and those who don't—it's a contrast between those who have more than they need with those who don't even have what they need. That's the contrast. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting a little irritated here, but uh, because I, I just don't see where this went, and he didn't, he never, he never proved it. He went to Romans one, and then he talked about Nero. He never even come close to proving that that's what this is about. He offered no textual justification for it, no hermeneutical justification for it. He didn't offer anything. And sadly, that's the way so much uh, of the, the Bible is handled. Even, even by someone like Jed Vernon McGee was, which was well respected. I mean, he worked through the entire Bible, you know, every five years on his program. He got, I mean, his whole ministry was just working through the entire Bible, working through the entire Bible, working through the entire Bible. Yet you have here a very questionable handling of the text, which should humble all of us because someone who worked through the Bible year year after 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 year could do that then clearly we're all capable of doing the exact same thing. But I don't know why he rushed to the homosexuality thing there. I have no idea why. It is bizarre to me how you could end up there. I mean, the text screams what it's about. Whether you want to make it women or whether you want to make it men, I think the women idea may be more more in line with the language. but, But either way, the individuals are fat, greedy, gluttonous, in contrast to the poor and the needy, they have more than they need, and the poor don't even ha- they don't even have what they need. I mean, this is, I don't even see it as sarcasm. I I, I see it as just painting a vivid word picture. Hey, look at your life. Like, I'm going to liken you to a fat cow so that you can see what you have versus what they don't have. I, I, I don't even... I don't even know if I see it as a, in a sarcastic way as more as just seeing it as a vivid word picture and a, a vivid illustration. You, you may disagree. You may think it's sarcasm, but that I that is crazy. All right, let, let's, I know this is taking forever just to get past verse one, but okay, let's see what he does with verse two, three. Let's see if we can at least get down to verse five. Here we go.
0: I tell you, this man is giving that nation ample opportunity to turn to God before they go into captivity. God gave them warning. He always did that. And I think our nation is getting a warning today. Now, verse 2, The Lord God hath sworn by His holiness that, lo, the day shall come upon you that He will take you away with hooks and your posterity with fishhooks. Now, we've seen that used before. Back in the 38th chapter of the book of Ezekiel, God said concerning Gog, which we have identified as Russia, God says, I'll put hooks in your jaws and bring you down into that land. And he intends to do it. There are certainly some strong hooks in the jaws of Russia today that cause them to look to the south. But we're not going into that here. I just call attention to the fact God says to these people, already you're hooked. Not hooked maybe on drugs, but you're hooked on iniquity and on sin and disobeying me. And I have already put hooks in your jaws, and I'm ready to take you out of the land. Judgment is coming. Now, verse 3, "...and ye shall go out at the breaches, every cow..." At that which is before her, and ye shall cast them into the palace, saith the Lord. Now, God says, if you think because you are rich, or you are a ruler, and you're living in a palace.
1: Now, according to one source, uh, yes, I mean, obviously the hooks is, you're, you're going to be taken, and you're going to be t- you pulled somewhere else. I understand that. But I think it is interesting that this seems to be when that they're going to be conquered and exiled by the Assyrians. Israel is going to be conquered and exiled by the Assyrians. Judah goes to Babylon. Okay, and it seems now you we can. I'll give this as an assignment if anybody wants to work on this today. If we can find some historical verification of the following: when the Assyrians depopulated and exiled a conquered community, they led the captive captives away on journeys of hundreds of miles. With the captives usually without any clothes, nude, naked, and attached together with a system of strings and fish hooks pierced through their lower lips. So that that they seem to believe, or at least according to one source. Now they don't state their source. I don't know if we can find out how the Assyrians typically, when they captured people, did they strip them nude and then lead them basically with a hook through their lips. Yeah, and, and marched them hundreds of miles back to their territory or wherever they were taking the conquered nation or the conquered groups of people. Um, if that is true, then this is not just illustration, like, you're going to be taken. This is, like, literally a prophecy of what's going to happen to them. And did that happen to Israel? Were the Assyrians known for when they captured someone, leading them away without clothes and basically with a hook and the the captive's lips? If that's true that is well that's 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 one of those very 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 literal very literal prophecies which is very important in how we interpret the book so something to consider i'll just throw that out there and you can see what you discover what you find and if you if you if you can find anything let me know let me know the source i need to know the source we need to know the source if we if we can come up with anything um i don't have right here in front of me my Bible dictionary because I would look up the Assyrians and just see if there was any documentation on that. But I bet you we could possibly find something. All right, let's continue.
0: That somehow or another you are going to be safe. Well, you're not. God says, I intend to reach in there and take you out into captivity. And when Assyria finally came and took them into captivity, the king went along also. And that was true also of the southern kingdom. Now, verse 4. Now we've come to a most interesting verse here. It's a tremendous verse. Verses 4 and 5. He says, "...come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal multiply transgression, and bring your sacrifices every morning, and your tithes after three years. And offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven, and proclaim and publish... The free offerings for so ye love to do. O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord God. Now, I'm sure that you recognize that this man here is using biting and bitter sarcasm. And he.
1: Okay, we're back to the sarcasm question. I, I'm challenging the concept that is using sarcasm very, I, I don't really see sarcasm in verse one. I'm seeing just a vivid word picture. Hey, you're fat cows. You have everything you need. You have more than you need. You have, you have that to satisfy your greed, yet you treat the poor who don't even have anything to meet their need. Okay. I, I see that as as, as as true. Then we have the fishhook thing, which, which again may be extremely literal if the Assyrians did lead people away that way. I'm going to leave that as your assignment to work on. Um, and then verse four, come to Bethel, come to Bethel, transgress um, at Gil, uh, Gilgal, multiply transgressions, bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years. Now this may have a little bit of sarcasm here. Maybe it has. Just remember, this is so important. uh, We've already talked about this. Your ability to discern when sarcasm is being used and not miss it is very important in how you interpret a text of scripture. Whenever you come to a text of scripture and you perceive it to be sarcasm and you read like 50 commentaries and nobody agrees on if it is or isn't sarcasm, be very careful how you proceed with your interpretation because it may not be as easy as everyone pretends that it is. So we'll have to see. But let, let's see what he feels the sarcas- sarcasm is here and what's the point that's being made.
0: He actually is inviting them to come to Bethel, a place of worship. That was the place where they went to worship the golden calf. And he says, come on up to Bethel and transgress." And Gilgal, now Gilgal, it means circle. It means to roll along. And it was the place, the first place Israel came to when they crossed the Jordan River under Joshua. And that became a sacred place to them. And later on, it became a center of idolatry. Now again, it's the center of idolatry. And he says, and also... Come to Gilgal, and you multiply transgressions there. Now, you're not supposed to go to church in order to sin. That's the very opposite of that. And here he's saying, come to Bethel and transgress. And I trust that you recognize that this is pungent satire, that it's a taunting rebuke, that it is indeed and ironical and ridiculous statement that he is making here concerning these people. And he's saying, come on up to Bethel. He's inviting them up there and saying, and when you get here, you sin, you transgress. You know that it is sometimes dangerous to go to church. The devil goes to church. You say, you sure about that? Yes, I think he's up bright and early on Sunday morning and where these men are teaching and preaching the Bible, he's doing everything he can to get in there and wreck their work, by the way. That's the reason you ought to pray for a Bible-preaching and Bible-teaching pastor today. He already has taken over certain churches. Liberalism has taken over, and he doesn't worry about those places anymore. Naturally, he doesn't at all, but he does worry about these places where they're alive, where the Word of God is being given out. And there's a danger of you going even there and sinning. You say, how do you know that? Do you recall that when our Lord took those twelve men yonder in the
1: this is always the fascinating part about preaching or teaching. Um when do you leave the text and you just go like okay, this is about Bethel, this is about Gilgal, this is about Israel and next thing you know you're talking about church, you're talking about us you're you're, you're you uh, it's always like how do you balance that out? Because you do want to apply it. But we 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 and I and I do believe there may be a little bit of sarcasm here or it may just be like okay, look Obviously, Israel, you want to continue to sin. Well, then come on, go to Bethel, go to Gilgal, and sin. Sin as much as you want. If that's what you want, go ahead and do it. I maybe it's sarcasm, or maybe it's more like almost like, okay, look, 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 that's what you want to do. Go ahead. Go ahead. And you're you'll live with the consequences. I we, we can look at it a lot of different ways, but okay. Um he, he's gonna apply it to us. And well, let's let's just see how he plays this out. Hopefully he circles back around and, get, and gives us a little bit more information of what's well, going on here with Israel and Bethel and Gilgal, because that's, really, that's, that's what we need to understand. That's what the text is about. But let's see what he does here.
0: The upper room. And if there ever was a sacred spot, if there ever was a sacred moment, and do you know who was there and he wasn't even invited? Satan having entered in the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. The devil got into the upper room. Now, he had to walk in on the legs of Judas Iscariot, but he got there. And sometimes he walks into our so-called conservative fundamental churches on the legs of some deacon or some Sunday school teacher or some member. May I say to you? It's tragic not to recognize our enemy and to be ignorant of his devices today. And so they were coming. They were very pious. And when they got there, they offered up a thanksgiving with leaven. Now, you may think it's strange that they offered up a thanksgiving with leaven. But some of you will recall when we were back in the book of Leviticus, I called attention in two places to the fact that leaven was used in offerings. Actually, on the day of Pentecost, the meal offering had leaven in it that day. And you know why? That offering and Pentecost represents the church. And there never has been a church yet that there wasn't just a little leaven in it. And leaven is always the principle of evil. Our Lord made that clear. It's evil doctrine, wrong doctrine, evil life. It can be any of these things, and it gets into the church, and you find leaven in that offering. And then when they made a thanksgiving offering in Leviticus, the seventh chapter, and I think I ought to turn and read verses 12 and 13 here. He says, if he offer it, For a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened cakes mingled with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and cakes mingled with oil of fine flour fried. Now, this is the Godward side of the offering. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ has made peace with God for us. So here in this peace offering... Why, we find that there's no leaven in the first offering that's made. Paul says in Romans 5, 1, "...being justified by faith, and not by our works, because we'd never be justified, but by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ." Now, that's that side of it. Now, here is the manward side. Here is where I come and offer myself, where you come and offer yourself yourself, to God, besides the cakes, he shall offer for his offering now. This is for the man that he is offering himself, leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offerings. So you and I, when we go through this ritual of the dedication of our lives to God, and we sometimes call it a consecration service, which is a misnamed, but actually... We never present ourselves perfect. That's just something out of the question. Now, if you think that you can present yourself perfect to God and you're waiting for that day, you're going to wait a long time because you'll never reach that. Leaven was included in that. And I think it's significant that leaven is mentioned here. And you know why? Because this prophet Amos, and say for a country preacher... He has a lot on the ball, don't you think, friends? He is an outstanding minister of the gospel for that day, but his was judgment. And he says with great emphasis, you come with a thanksgiving that has leaven in it. He doesn't even mention the unleavened. Why? Because they are totally removed from the living and true God. Therefore, the only thing they can do is offer evil to God, and God won't accept that at all. And I think this is one of the...
1: Okay, this is interesting. I think most of the time, when and I think most commentaries, when they look at Amos 4, and they look at verse 5, and they say, and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven... I think typically the preacher goes straight into the mode. Hey, you're not—you were not supposed to offer this with leaven. Uh, this is this is wrong. That, that he's saying, come and odd. In other words, you're already worshiping in a fraudulent, false way. Here, go ahead, offer your thanksgiving with leaven. You know you're not supposed to do that either. I think that's how typically. In fact, I'll just read from one commentary. Only one offering in Israel included leaven. The wave offering made on the day of Pentecost. Here, the prophet either refers to this one offering or to mock their. Up sacrifices, he suggests they bring offerings polluted by leaven. Most say hey, this. He's saying, "Hey, come on, go go ahead. You're worshiping in all these other fraudulent ways. You're wor- worshiping a golden calf. Come, come, sin. Continue to sin in your worship. Here you go. D- offer leaven." Now, Jay Vernon McGee just quoted something from Leviticus that seems to say that there was a time, there was a part of the Thanksgiving offering where you would offer up leaven. So, but then, even though he mentions that, then he comes to this and says, but, 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 but they don't mention the other part, the unleavened part. Therefore, this is sinful. But if there was ever a time to offer Thanksgiving with leaven, like, it, it almost, to me, makes me pause and go, well, wait a minute. The context here clearly is, hey, like, you're offering this in a wrong way. But does Leviticus say that there's a Thanksgiving offering that you do offer up leaven? Because if there is, like, I, I, that was weird that he went to Leviticus. I thought he was going to go in a completely different direction, but then he flips it around. Go, hey, but they don't mention the the, the unleavened part. And because they don't mention the unleavened part, then this is about offering up a Thanksgiving uh, with basically sin. That all they can do is offer up evil. That, that, that Leviticus portion... Does that change our interpretation of this? This is something we're going to have to do a little bit of work on because now, because I I think I would have, I never would have went to that Leviticus passage. So it's an interesting cross-reference. But so, to me, the context here, clearly, whatever is going on in the Leviticus passage, the context here is, hey, come and worship Continue your sin. That's what you want here. Worship in your sinful way. Offer this Thanksgiving with leaven. You know you're not supposed to do all those things you're doing because all you're doing is heaping more and more judgment upon yourself because you continue to worship in a fraudulent way. You worship where I, you're worshiping the wrong thing. You're worshiping where I told you not, I, I, you're supposed to be in Jerusalem, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that is an interesting cross reference
0: the most tremendous statements, and don't miss it. Now, I find that a great many people miss satire and a little sarcasm. Now, I'm sorry that I indulge in it. My wife thinks I ought not to, but I enjoy indulging in it from time to time. Now, some time ago, when we were in the epistle to the Hebrews, you will recall that I offered a little book, and we'd still offer it to anyone that wanted it, on the authorship of Hebrews. Now, it's a little book I attempted to write as a seminary student in a scholarly manner, (laughs) but that's when I thought I knew it all, and I found out since I don't. But at that time, why, I took the position and do today that Paul wrote Hebrews, and I felt like I offered some good reasons for it. In fact, I thought I solved the problem, but apparently I didn't because they still argue about who wrote Hebrews today. And then on the radio, I gave a very facetious answer. I said, I don't have time to go into the details of it, but I said, I will give you this one. I said, now, if Paul didn't write Hebrews, that would mean he only wrote 13 epistles. And do you think he would stop with that unlucky number? He must then have written Hebrews to make it 14. Well, do you know that several people took me seriously? And I got a letter from a man. It was about 12 to 15 pages, closely typewritten, not only rebuking me, but trying to show me that that was a very unscriptural answer that I gave. And (laughs) I have to laugh because that
1: happens to me all the time. I'll say something almost in a joking or sarcastic way. And then I'll get some email. What, what are you? Sorry, blah, 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 and just like going crazy on me. And it's just like, you didn't get what I, you missed the whole point. And it's like, you spent like, how many hours did it take you to type all of that out? Well, you didn't get the point. So I, I guess probably a danger of using sarcasm or joking around. Uh, I typically get myself in trouble when I do that because people don't appreciate my jokes, even though I, I think it's it's not that they don't appreciate them. I think it's just, my humor is above. The, I'm okay. I'm joking. I'm joking, everyone. I'm joking. But yeah, I, I guess it's always a danger, right? But I'm I'm more I'm more interested in your Leviticus. Hey, you can offer a sacrifice at Thanksgiving with leaven, but in this particular case, you you you, you they 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 did it the wrong way. Like I I'm so confused at his Leviticus cross reference like that. That's what I want to talk about. And, well, he, he wants to go back to the sarcasm thing. All right, let's, let's just see where he takes this. Here we go.
0: That I was dealing in superstition, that I ought to go back on the radio and explain to people that I was leading many astray. May I say to you, if you took me seriously, I want to correct that. I was merely being facetious. Now, I hope you'll understand The prophet Amos, when he says to come to Gilgal to transgress, he's not asking people to sin, but in the most bitter and biting sarcasm that is imaginable. He says, that's what you do when you come up to Gilgal and up to Bethel. You come up to sin, not really to worship God. And today... It might be well next Sunday morning when you put on your Sunday go to meeting clothes to get out on your knees and ask God about the condition of your heart are you taking a new heart the church are you taking a clean heart the church are you taking lips that are not going to speak anything that would hurt the
1: That's an interesting perspective Hey, before you get to church, make sure your heart is clean. Make sure your lips are clean. Make, I I do understand in trying to have Christians prepare themselves so that they are ready to receive God's word. They're alert. They're ready. They're not distracted. They, they, they do little things to get ready. But um, I think the church is a great place for people to come who have an unclean heart. I think church is the place to come with our unclean heart, our unclean lips, our unclean mind, our unclean desires. I think church is the place to bring all of that, right? We're all unclean in some way. I So do you have to clean yourself? Not only do you have to clean yourself up in the clothes you wear, you have to clean yourself up spiritually before you get to church. I don't, I I think church is for unclean people to hear the word of God, to be challenged, convicted. I, I, so I, I, I understand what he's trying to say. I just, um, I, I, I like to, to think of churches like, I don't like the concept that, you know, how dare you, you go to church and look at your life. No, I that's, your life looks like that. You should be at church because there at the church, I hope you see when you walk into a building, a cross. We have a cross on behind my pulpit and a cross on the pulpit. Uh, the cross you come to church to hear about the cross. That's where the people with unclean lips and unclean hearts need to be. It's always like, no, no, you hypocrite. Don't come to no, come to church. The, the hypocrite needs to be at church. The sinner needs to be at church. The 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 person with unclean thoughts need to be at church. That's where we should be. Right? We don't no, no, no. Clean yourself up. Then come to church. I I I understand what he's trying to say. I just I just think sometimes we almost create this idea and, and, and I think the idea has permeated even into culture like oh look that person goes to, that person goes to church and whenever I hear that I'm like so where should they be? That person goes to church yeah, that person needs to be at church. That's what we hear about Christ and the forgiveness of sins. That's where we're called to we hear the word of God and we're convicted by our sins and we see the holiness of God. And so by seeing the holiness of God, we see the, our sinfulness. Where else would you want that person to be? It's like church is not the place for pure saints, it's the place for filthy sinners. Like, right? I I I I I just I think there's a mentality there I, I, I that I think, and I'm not saying that's what he's trying to do here, but um, okay, let, let's just continue.
0: Cause of Christ, may I say to you, this is something that's very important and very pertinent, even for our day. You know, this man, Amos, I hope you're falling in love with him. If I was still a pastor and he was still around, I'd invite him to my church to preach because I think the church today needs ministers like this. There are some men that just preach on comfort, nice little messages on how to comfort and work out your problems. Somebody needs to say something very strong about sin in people's hearts today. And that is true out of the church. It's true in the church. It's true with your heart and my heart. The biggest problem you and I have, To overcome today is the matter of sin in our lives. And there's no use going to church and try to cover it up and go through some little course or attend some little conference and come back and say, oh, we were blessed. We're walking on the mountaintop. Well, wonderful if you are. But my friend, did you really come back to the Word of God? Did you have a confrontation with the Lord Jesus Christ that was meaningful? Those are the things that are important. Now let's move on in verse
1: six. We'll stop right there because it's just a perfect stopping point. All right, well, it's a perfect stopping point. So let me grab a pencil here so that I can write this down. It's 19 minutes, 19, basically 1910. It's we'll stop. I gotta move, I've gotta find an empty page in my notebook. All right, 19. All right. 1910. That's a good stopping point. All right. So what we need to work on, well, I I don't know where he came up with the, the homosexual idea. I'm still baffled by that all day. I don't know how chapter four, verse one has anything to do with homosexuality. That was bizarre. The fishing hook. So here's your assignment. Fishing hooks. Look up anything you can find about the Assyrians and how, when they captured people, did they lead them away without any clothes and with hooks in their mouths? If we can verify that historically, then that's a, that's a literal prophecy that was fulfilled in a literal way. So if we can find anything about that, that would be great. And then the other thing is, uh, I don't, if uh, I didn't write it down, if anyone wrote down the cross reference from Leviticus that he mentioned, um, in regards to offering up leaven in the Thanksgiving sacrifice, uh, it, or, or the sacrifice of Thanksgiving, um, if we can find that, and then we have to ask ourselves, well, I don't, I don't, I don't think that that's what's being spoken of here in Amos 4 or 5. I don't think, I don't know why you would even bring that up. I think here it's being, this is all being like, come and sin, come and sin. You, this is what you want to do? Go, continue to sin, continue. That, that, that's what your heart wants. That's what you desire. Do so, but judgment is coming. So um, the main thing, I think the Assyrian thing is the most important maybe concept there. The Leviticus cross-reference just has me perplexed and confused because on one hand, I thought he was getting ready to say, hey, offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. Hey, that, do it the right way. This is the way you're supposed to do it. But then he immediately says, no, 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 no. They mentioned, the, they, they didn't mention the unleavened part. So this is the wrong way, even though he read from Leviticus, which seems to support doing it with leaven. The context here, is, I mean, just look at the context. Amos 4, 4, come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal, Gilgal, multiply transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years. So, so in other words, do all of these things, but do so obviously. And in, 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 you're you're doing so to sin. You're doing so in a sinful way. Well, because you're not supposed to be at Bethel. You're supposed to be in Jerusalem. You're not supposed to be worshiping a golden calf. Um, and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. Proclaim and publish the fr- the. The free offerings for for this liketh you, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord God. I think all of that has to be being said in a, continue to worship in your sinful way. Continue to do so because judgment is coming. But you can tell me what you think in regards to the cross-reference from Leviticus. I think, I don't know if we should bring in the cross-reference from Leviticus here because the context here tells us exactly what he's trying to say. All right. We'll stop right there, right at the hour mark. We did pretty good, class. We did pretty good. All right. The goal is, I don't know if I'll get to any more. If I, if I have the opportunity today, we'll come back and work on the rest of chapter four using Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Maybe even tonight, later, maybe I'll, I'll, maybe we can even get done with chapter five. If not, we'll work on five tomorrow. Um, that puts us Thursday and then maybe Friday, I can get through six, seven, eight, and nine. I don't know if I can. Then I'll be gone for a week, which I apologize. Everyone continue to work on the Bible study method, right? Right now we're in the chapter analysis that we'll move into the book synthesis. You just keep working the method. Just keep working the method that I gave you. Um, That will get you close to what we need to do. Start compiling all of your questions in regards to the book of Amos. Continue to work on that. Um, Also, when you're in a chapter, pull up the curriculum. And if the curriculum is covering things that are in the chapter you're working on, please look at the curriculum uh, the, the curriculum starts with chapter two, and then I think it jumps to chapter four, maybe chapter five. I'd have to look. But look and see, and then look at the curriculum and look at that, um, and so to make the most out of that, and just continue your, your work, and we will, we will bring this to a hopefully satisfying conclusion by the time we're done with our study of the book of Amos. I know it's been a lot of work. You've done a book background. You're doing a chapter analysis. You've read the book countless times. You've done outlines. You've done a lot of work. I hope you're you're starting to see the benefits of all of that work. I'm hoping that by what I do hope, I really do hope this that by the time you're done, then you go to church one Sunday and they're like, open up to the Book of Amos, and no matter what they say, you're like, boom, 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 you got it. You know the Book of Amos, like you you understand the text perfectly. That would be awesome. Uh, Just a lot of times people don't see the benefits of their work immediately. And it may be, you know, a year later when someone says, open up the book of Amos. But I'm hoping it happens for you like almost instantaneously because then you'll immediately realize, wow, using that Bible study method actually helped me understand a book better than I would have ever understood it without it. So that's what I'm hoping will happen. But um, yeah, there you go. I would love to get your thoughts from today's study about the Assyrians what do you think about his claim that 4-1 is about homosexuality? And what do you think about his use of Levitic- the cross-reference in Leviticus in regards to the sacrifice of Thanksgiving with Levin? What do you think about those three things? You can share it. You can add, email me, newsif at yahoo.com, or those in the Discord channel. You can offer your thoughts there as we continue to talk, discuss, and work on the book of Amos, using all kinds of different things to challenge us and to help us us gain a greater understanding of this book from the Word of God. All right, thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. We'll be doing more live broadcasts at some point today. And the goal is tonight, if everything works properly, I need to work on Amos at church, but we got to finish Mark 2.26. We have to. So I'm going to do my best to work on Mark 2.26 tonight, I think, at church at 7 p.m. if everything works correctly. If not, well then... We'll just do whatever, we'll, we'll do whatever the, uh, whatever the situation calls for. That's what we'll do. But one way or the other, hopefully you'll get some more teaching uh, as a result of this podcast sometime today, this evening, or even later tonight. Thanks for listening. God bless.